part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. If you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. About a year ago I spoke a little bit. Uh, we were having Lord's Supper that day and we talked a little bit about worry. And worry is one of those things that uh, you could probably preach every three or four months and still find something new that you need it for that time. In fact, it was over a year that we, again, just touched on a little bit of this verse um, from another aspect as we prepared for the Lord's Supper that morning. And how many of y'all, since that time in the last year, you have been able to totally defeat worry from your life? So, so it's still needed, even though we've addressed it uh, at another time. Uh, the question, did Jesus ever worry? Uh, usually, you know, the pastor talks and, and you listen, but, but anybody want to give a go at that? Did Jesus ever worry? Okay, now the easy part is getting the right answer because there's a 50-50 chance that goes either way. Okay, so no is the right answer. Anybody want to just briefly explain why you can say, you know, that definite no this morning? Okay, worries is sin. It really is. Exactly. And Julie, this morning, you know, as we come and as we gather together and we begin to see that, we see that he says he commands us not to worry. So Christ is not going to give us a command that he does not follow. And so this is not a strong suggestion from Jesus. Ah, don't worry. It's not really good for your health. It will give you ulcers. And there's, This is not a strong suggestion. This is actually a command. And that's why I can really say that did Jesus ever worry? No. Now, was he grieved? Yes, he cried. Or were there times that he was in great anguish, the strain of God's call and taking on the whole sin of the world for our behalf? Was that an anguish? Yes. Uh, Destin, this week, you know, you said, hey, you know, he, he sweat drops of blood. That's a lot. That's anguish. It wasn't worry, but it was anguish. So here's Christ who very much is under anguish. He's under grieving times. He was, there was times that he was tired and exhausted. He went away to a lonely place so that he could pray. But sometimes he was just flat out exhausted. Remember the times that he would leave the crowd? And it wasn't just that he says, okay, disciples, you look exhausted. He says, I'm exhausted. And he would go away just for that time with the Father. So all these different feelings that, that we have, that we experience, Christ experiences. He knows what it is to have, literally for him, the weight of the world on his shoulders the weight of the sinful world on his shoulders. We've never experienced the fullness of that. We've experienced the fullness of our own sin and the weight that that brings, our own defiance and our own rebellion at times. But Christ understands where we're coming from. And yet, one thing that we can say, I can say conclusively about Christ, is that he never worried. Now, can you imagine going a week without worry? I mean, what would it be like to go a day a week. What if a month? Can you imagine a lifetime without worry? I mean, in, in these fallen bodies, guys, we're, we're going to still struggle as we with this old man, this old nature, and so there's we're still going to be tempted to to do this. But my hope this morning is not that we just kind of say, okay, don't worry, be happy. Kind of, you know, we could sing a song about that. That we don't just give a suggestion, but we actually see how destructive worry is in our lives. That we actually use the scripture, God's truth, not our own kind of psychological wording, but that we actually see what Christ says about worry 
in his own words, and he really defines it well. And he says, okay, this is why it's destructive in your life. But he gives us an alternative. One of the amazing things that I discovered as a teenager is when contemporary Christian music was just coming out. And so there wasn't a whole bunch of people that were doing contemporary Christian music at that time. I was a teenager. I'm going, okay, I like this band. I like this singer. I like this. And, and I found this chart that somebody put out one time, and they said, okay, if you like this band, here is a contemporary Christian band that kind of plays a similar style of music. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. Because it's one thing to say, don't do that. It's another to say, okay, here is something that is righteous. This is something that is holy. That's an equivalent. If you like musical taste, you can still have the musical taste, but, but here's something that's redeeming. I, I, I love when preachers, when teachers, when moms and dads, when people in authority, well, if they tell you no, that they actually say, okay, but here's the positive end. Too oftentimes if we've, we've said in here that the church, that is the body of Christ, oftentimes, we say no, and the, the world is very aware of what we're against. But they're not always aware of what we're for. In this sermon, you're going to find that Jesus very much says no to worry. He commands us not to worry, but he does give us an alternative. So he's not just saying no to something and then forbids us to go there, and so he's just looking out to see, oh, you stepped over the line. No, he actually commends us to to go towards something. And this morning we're going to see that. The word that is used in the Greek for worry that Jesus uses is here actually means a divided mind. Now think about that. When Jesus is he's, he's using this term that in the language of the day, the Greek would have been a divided mind. Isn't that what worry does? Because there's a part of you, whether that's the hopeful part, whether that's the truthful part or whatever, that says, okay, I think I'm still going to have a job next week, but I just heard <laughs> that they were sending out memos at work and that there's going to be a cutback. Well, my goodness. And don't they always give it? It's like medical tests. You always have medical tests that happen on a Thursday or Friday. I mean, you never have one that happens on a Monday and say, hey, look, we're going to be here all week. We'll get you back Tuesday, Wednesday. Man, you're going to be fine. No, it's always on a Thursday or Friday, and they say, okay, it's going to be Monday or Tuesday of next week. And so you have this long weekend that you're waiting there. Okay, pass, fail? Am I sick? Am I not? Will I live? Will I die? You know, all these things going through your mind. And so that's a divided mind because there's a part of you that says, okay, I don't feel good, but I don't feel deathly. And so you're wondering, what's the result of this test going to be? A divided mind. One that is hopeful, but one that is worried. We approach a lot of things in life that way. But Jesus begins to address that. This direction, I mean, this dividedness um, is divided because there's a, another pull there. And that pull here, we're going to find out that Jesus pulls us toward so that we don't have to worry is trust. We're going to say that worry and trust, they're cousins, but they're fighting cousins. You know, you can't have one without the other. Elizabeth Elliot, if you've ever uh, read a lot of Elizabeth Elliot, I love her quote here. Now, this is a woman who lost her husband in missions, the very people that they were going to serve the gospel with, took her husband's life. And so they get out, and she's safe, but they come back to minister to those same people, you know, months later. And as they come back, you know, she just has a love for these people, even though they took her husband's life. But I love her in all of her writing because it's, it's writing from the trenches. Don't you like writing from the trenches? Instead of 
you know, well, I was going to stand up on something. You know, sometimes people speak to you from the, the high lofty places, and you're going, hey, come down here in the mail room and see if you say that. Come down here in real life when we're dealing with this or that. Well, Elizabeth Elliot, when she speaks, I listen because this is a woman who's known grief. She's known sorrow. She's known loss in her life. This is what she said about worry. Worry is the antithesis of trust. You simply can't do both. They are mutually exclusive. Kind of black and white. (laughs) You're either going to trust or you're going to worry. There's not this kind of middle ground here. And one of the things that we're going to see in the scripture this morning, that Jesus says, look, there's not this safety in the middle where you can kind of ride the fence on this. That's why he can conclusively say, in, in his word, do not worry. He doesn't say, just don't worry a lot. Don't let worry overcome you. He says, do not worry. He draws it in a very black and whiteness, a very defined line, that there is no gray middle in this area. Look at verse 24, Matthew 6, 24. This is where he's really drawn from. Now, in your Bibles, how many of you have Bibles that are sectioned out, have kind of sections? Okay. How many of you have a, a section that ended with verse 24 and a new section that started with verse 25? Okay. It's the Sermon on the Mount. This is one sermon. And scholars have kind of divided the end of 24 and the beginning of 25. I really believe that there's a link there. In fact, we're going to see what's the first word of verse 25. Therefore, so there's a link. You know, because I made this statement, I'm going to link this truth with it, this principle with it. So even though your Bible kind of ends a little section with verse 24, it is so telling for the next section of worry. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or that he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man, God and money. Now, is he against money? Is this a, a sermon that he was given on money? No. He's using that as an example because everybody can relate. He said, as you pursue life, you can build up treasures for yourself or you can build up treasures for the kingdom. So he's kind of going in along that line between the material world, the spiritual world, uh, following after things that are temporary, those things that are eternal. And he keeps on doing this contrast back and forth. But in that verse, guys, black and white are a whole bunch of gray. What do you mean? Black and white. You can't serve two masters. And he doesn't say, but you know, there is this kind of comfortable middle where you can be kind of, you know, kind of touching this person, that master, and that kind of master. And you can kind of just hold both hands if that makes you feel good. Now look at the word that he uses. It's very aggressive wording, guys. You're either going to love the one or you're going to hate the other. Does that seem pretty aggressive, pretty defined to you? Now, is Jesus just angry when he's preaching this? No. He's trying to tell us that there's not this comfortable middle ground. So oftentimes, especially when it comes to something like worry, we we make self-excuses like it's an inherited trait. How many times have I heard somebody say, well, I just come from a long line of worry. You maybe really learned that trait of worrying. And I I know a lot of people that, yeah, they could really say, okay, mama was a worry and grandma was a worry and, and daddy kind of worried too. And I got it from them. But here's the thing. This is not an inherited trait. It may be a behavior that we've modeled. But Jesus would not command us to do something that we are incapable of doing. 
And so if you've ever used this example, well, I just worry because, you know, mama worried and grandma, and it's kind of just in my genes. No, it's in your heart. It may be in your mind. And I'm not saying you weren't greatly influenced by a parent here. I'm just saying, guys, he would never command us against something that there was an inability for us to overcome. Christ just doesn't do that. He's the one that leaves the 99 to go chasing after the one. This is the heart of God. Not a condemning God that says, ha, that one is going to get it, but you 99 that stayed, bless you. The heart of God is to go after the one. And, And so this is not an inherited thing, worry, even though we may have a long line that we can point back to. And when we begin to see this, that he's taking on these various topics And he begins to address this area of worry right after he talked about, you know, having an investment in kingdom things and not in earthly things. seems like he goes from money to worry really quick. But let's be honest. Is one of the areas that brings worry to your life finances? Quick poll this morning. Three questions. First question. How many of you would worry more, trust less? Because remember, worry and trust. These are the, the, the fighting cousins here. These are, you're going to go one way or the other. You're going to trust or you're going to worry. You're, you can't do both as far as at the same time. How many of you would worry more, trust less, when there's financial, deep financial troubles in your life? How many of you would admit that I worry more and I trust less when I have really deep financial troubles? Okay, second question. How many of you would trust more, worry less, if you had $2 million in the bank right now? Now, let's think about that, okay? Let's think about that. I mean, I, I would raise my hand. But what am I putting my trust in at that point? I mean, I can say, okay, I worry more and I trust less when there's a lot of financial drain on my life, when there's a lot of things. How are we going to pay for this? And we don't have answers to questions that are probing in our future. And then we've said, okay, but if we had $2 million in the bank, I would worry less and I would trust a lot more. But what are we trusting in at that point? The provision of God or that provision of what money does? I'm not belittling the fact that $2 million would, have, would solve. It's like somebody said one time, well, pastor, money can't buy happiness. I said, no, but it can rent it for a really long time. And we have to kind of understand that you have money in your, in your pocket. There is a security that seems to be there. But here's the thing. Here's what Jesus is going to try to get. It's a false security, guys. It's a false security. What could be up yesterday can be down tomorrow. Ask the people that bought Bitcoin at 19000 The other day, the owner of uh, Amazon, is it, uh, in one day made $16 billion. Not bad for a day's work. It's here, it's there. We don't make light. Jesus is not making light of money. He's not making light of when we're in financial straits. What he's saying is, okay, guys, examine when it comes to worry in your life. He said, here's a hard case of example of, that we would readily say, yeah, when I have financial troubles, I really, you know, I tend to worry more because I don't know the answer. If I had $2 million in the bank right now, I would worry less because I would at least think I have some answers to some of those questions. 
But where is that trust? You see, Jesus is just using money as an example of anything that you could put your trust into. Your trust can be in even good things like a marriage and family, a good job. There's nothing inherently wrong with you know, a good job. You go out there and work. We're commanded to, to work. We're, we're told to go out there and to, to be worthy of our hire. But in verse 24, we see a division. We see this struggle. We see this fight that kind of goes on. Again, look at the words back in verse 24. Hate the one and love the other. Devoted to one, despise the other. Very aggressive words. There is no middle ground. So with that in mind, that was a really long lead-in, but it's an essential lead-in for us to get what Jesus is saying in the next verse, in verse 25. First word there, it's the word in most of your Bibles, is going to be the word therefore. Again, that word always links what was said to what is about to be said. In this particular, I love the New American Standard Version, if you have that. Um, I, I like how it says it. Instead of just the word therefore, it uses the word for this reason. Kind of makes sense. Okay, for this reason that I just stated all this. And then he begins to, to open up the, the next truth. All those words connect a thought with truth in verse 24. And now the thought and the truth of verse 25. Look what it says. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Now he's not against food and clothes. He doesn't have it out for foodies or fashionistas. He's not trying to to make a comment that if you just kind of like these things, if you really like your food, that you're a bad person. He's, He's using just normal, everyday basics of life because he's addressing it from the foundation up so that everybody would understand, hey, this includes me. And those are examples that he gives about worry. And he uses these as the basics of life. Now look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? This is where Jesus introduces us this truth to combat worry. He says you have this natural inclination to worry when you don't know the future, but I'm going to give you something else. I'm going to give you to combat that trust. Trust in what? Well, we just said, hey, even trusting $2 million is kind of helpful if you're having financial trouble. But he gives us something better than something that's temporary, something that could come and go, rise and fall. He said, I'm going to give you a trust in God. That you actually have a heavenly Father that created you, that gave you life. And so as you have worry over here, and as you're combating that worry, I'm going to give you an answer of something that is definite that you can always trust in. Now, let's be real, guys. Is not this the struggle, the wrestling arena of life? Trust in God, worry of the things of man. Every single day, we're in that arena. And every single day, we kind of come out with our wrestling uniform on, and sometimes it may be just a small little, you know, worry or something like that, and we're going, I can defeat this one. But sometimes, and Dustin, I should have called you and gotten all the the names of the current wrestlers since I'm kind of out of that. Is the Giant still around? Not Andre the Giant, but this other guy, like the Undertaker guy and all those kind of guys. 
He's got, you know, seven foot tall, 390 pounds, hairy as anything. You know, that's what a lot of our struggles look like. We, we get into this arena, and God says, okay, you're going to wrestle with these things of life. But as you get in there and wrestle, understand that I'm not just saying, hey, don't worry about this. I'm going to give you something that you can trust in. I'm going to give you something definite that you can put your trust in that will not let you down. And he gives an example uh, most of us, if we grew up in the church, we've heard this. Hey, look, he takes care of the birds. Aren't you more valuable than a bird? And we've heard sermons on how much of a worth of a bird and how much we're worth. Those are all good. He's being very basic, but here's what he's trying to illustrate. That God is a providing father. I was telling the praise band before, uh, when they were practicing that song that we sang right there at the end, about this pursuing God. I said, yeah, did you, did you hear that story about a month, month and a half ago? Where, you know, now they come up in the gas, when you're at the gas station, they steal your car. And they came up, and this lady, I think she was like five foot two, 105 pounds, this young mother. And they tried to steal her car. Well, they didn't realize, or maybe they did, but there's a baby in the back. And they showed the footage. This mother is hanging on. They start to pull off. She's holding on. You know, we just sing about the reckless love of God. This was reckless. 105 pounds, 5 foot 2. She's going to take on these guys, these big old hairy, you know, giant wrestlers. Yeah, because her baby's in the back. She wrestles the guy out of the car. Five foot two, 105 pounds. The guy, I don't know his stats, but he was bigger. She holds on. He starts to pull off. She gets a hold of him. She pulls him out of the car. She gets her baby back. And there's a whole bunch of mamas in here right now that can relate to that. There's a whole bunch of daddies that can relate to that. And that's the simple case that God is making, I mean, that Christ is making. You have a daddy. You have a reckless God when it comes to pursuing you. But here's the thing. There is nothing bigger. He's not five foot two, 105 pounds. He is mighty God. And he's pursuing you not because of our innocent sitting in the back seat and we're taken by sin. Even in our willful rebellion, he's pursuing us. He's coming after us. That's what Jesus is teaching. It's not about birds. It's not about money. It's not about clothes. He's using those for examples. But this is the one truth that he wants. He says, look, you have an alternative to worry, and that's trust. This is your choice. But there is no middle ground. There's maturity. There's moving from a place of worry to a place of trust. There is no middle ground where you can say, well, I kind of trust and I kind of don't trust. He says, you know, you make the choice. And the choice is based on not how big your opponent is, but how big your answer is. And that's why he comes back and he says, look, (laughs) birds. Notice that we find the gospel even in this verse. He says what? That the birds don't what? So are we. They don't toil. They don't work. You know what he's saying? (laughs) You didn't earn this. We just sang this song. You didn't deserve it. You don't earn it. 
It's the grace of God. This pursuing nature of God is the grace of God pursuing after us. The birds, they're not earning it. He says, but I provide for them. Why? Because they have need for it. Bottom line, first thing that we see here is that there is a wrestling match going on and worry divides you. It's going to pull you one way or the other. I didn't know if you two guys were going to be here. Now I wish that I would have brought my rope because I was going to get tied in the middle. I was going to get both of you strong guys, one to pull on one side and one on the pull on the other side, and hope that my arms stayed intact <laughs> as you had this pulling match to see which one was, could pull me one way or the other because I wanted us to visibly see, man, this is what it's like trusting God and worrying about things that we don't know. And it is a struggle. Verse 27. Not only does worry divide us, it defeats us. Verse 27. And which one of you, being anxious, can eat us uh, to add a single hour to the span of life? In other words, he says, worry wears you out. Would you, would you agree with that? That worry just flat wears you out. It's like bailing water, and yet the hole is bigger than your bucket. Isn't that what worry does? I mean, you got a lot of activity, and you are constantly bailing water, and yet, because the hole is bigger than the bucket, you're sinking, you're just kind of going down. Or it's like making minimum payments on a credit card. Before they changed the law, they actually had to change the law, because there, you know, there was a minimum payment, but they had set it so low that indefinitely, indefinitely forever and ever, you'd be paying back this credit card. Now they raised it to where... Uh, if you notice on your, your credit card statements, it will calculate. In 246 years, you won't have this paid off. Because at least now there's a possibility that my great-great-great-grandson will pay this off one day. But worries like that, guys. I mean, if you've ever, I mean, honestly, let's put ourselves in it. If you've ever been in one of those situations where you kind of financially got behind and, and you get the credit card bill, you cannot pay it in full, even though that would be your desire. And so you make the minimum payment, and you have to do that for a while, two months, three months, or four months. Even that minimum payment, is that a strain on your budget? So there's blood, sweat, and tears going into this minimum payment, and yet you're not making any progress. Jesus says that's what worry does. You put a lot of strength and effort into it. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in these things, but you're not making any progress. Anybody ever changed their major in college? How many times? Just once. Anybody have her beat? Chris? Two, three. <laughs> okay. So, so don't hit me after the sermon on, on this. But, but one of the frustrating things about changing your major in college, especially if you do it five or six times, is now you're in your 10th year. <laughs> Why? Because every time, you don't have to maybe start all the way back over, but they're going, okay, now that you want this arts degree, all those math and physics classes you took, they don't really apply here. So we're not going to count those as you start this art degree. Well, you do that two, three, four, five times, pretty soon you're going, man, I've been here forever, and yet I'm still a freshman. That's what worry does, guys. Do you see the principle? He's not saying that worry is just this lightweight. He says this is something that will attack you. It will try to divide you. It will try to defeat you. It truly is you know, a, a worry versus 
trust. Whenever you see that VS, what does that mean? It stands for verses, but what, what does it mean? Yeah, there, there's going to be a game here. Tonight, there's going to be a game. And it's going to be the Eagles versus the Patriots. And they're going to go at it. Because there's something to be prized. There's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of prestige. There's this ring and all this. And they're going to be versus one another. There's, they're going to be on that battlefield. And they are going to actually be versus one another. But please understand that what Christ is setting up here is that there is a war going on. There's a battlefield going on in our own lives. And it is worry versus trust. They are combating one another. And the choice is ours to, to make here. How defeating it is when you work hard and yet there's no payback. The last thing that we see here is not only is it dividing and defeating, it's distracting. He says it distracts you. It takes your eyes off of one thing to put them on another thing. God gave you one set of eyes. And if I'm going to look over here at this light, guess what? I cannot see that light. If I'm looking at Ricky, I cannot see Seth. Now, I can try to do this, but if I'm really going to focus on one, I lose focus of the other. Right? Your heart, your mind does the same thing. That's what Jesus is trying to point out. That's why he said, lay up treasures in heaven, you're on earth. You can't focus on both. Verse 31 and 32. Once again, he commands us not to worry. He says, therefore, do not be anxious. Do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, and he's using that kind of as a little bit of a a derogatory term there of lost people. Uh, I think the NIV even says pagans, unbelievers. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. Bottom line. To worry is to trust God less. You can't say, well, it's genetic. I got it from my mama and grandma, my dad or my granddaddy. Yeah, you may have seen the example, but you did not get that in your genes. It's not a genetic thing that's passed on. It's a choice. It's an attitude of the mind. It's an attitude of the heart. To worry is putting your eyes on what you don't know instead of putting your eyes on a father that you can know. You're going to put your eyes somewhere. You're going to be in this wrestling match. There will be a versus of worry and trust. But what Christ is saying, you can come out the victor. Not because you're this great person, but because God is pulling for you and he's trustworthy. Verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus' answer to worrying less is trusting more. Okay, you got that? Jesus' answer to worrying less is trusting more. Now let's do the whole chicken and the egg thing. Which one of those do you think really comes first? You decide that you're not going to worry as much, so you worry less. And so, okay, because I'm worrying less, I'm going to trust more. Do you think that by trusting God more, you're going to worry less? Is there a logical order in those two? Which one you, would you say is inherently the first thing that you should do? Trust more. 
So, so even though we can say, yeah, I, I, I want to worry less because I want to trust more, I understand the process that's going on here, okay? And that to worry less, if we're really taking Jesus' example, means that we trust more. We just don't make a decision. Well, I just don't want to be a worrier. I don't want to turn out like mom or dad or grandma or whatever. I don't want to worry. These ulcers are killing me, and so I want to worry less. So what can I do? Oh, I guess I can trust more. No, understand the process that Christ has put in. As he talks about the birds, as he talks about the clothes, as he talks about the flowers, he said, look at these flowers out there. They don't worry about what the clothing, and yet Solomon, he was never dressed up like this. He says, these flowers are beautiful. The answer isn't to say, today, I decide to worry less. Now, if you want to make a statement this morning, if you want to make a new directional kind of path for your life, your, your decision this morning isn't, I want to worry less. Your decision this morning, by the invitation of God, this God who pursues you, is to trust more. And how do you trust more? You just get to know him and his trustworthiness. Kind of one of the most harrowing experiences in man's life is buying a car, especially if it's a used car. From a dealership or something like that. Because you don't know, I don't know, man, this looks good. How many of y'all have ever bought a shiny car that turned out to, to, to be kind of a, a lemon? It was shiny and it was pretty. Okay, yeah, the whole bunch of hands go up. And on the outside, it looks great. You know, man, bells, whistles, everything. And yet the kind of the fundamental part that makes a car a car gets you from point A to point B, this thing called a motor and engine transmission and all this, is kind of faulty. And you find out really, really fast, man, I'm sitting here at point A looking really good, and I can't even see point B in this car, and it's not going to take me there. I look good, <laughs> but the whole purpose of the car was to get from point A to point B. And as beautiful as this car is, as fancy and shiny as it is, it doesn't do what it was supposed to do. The answer is not to worry less. The answer is to trust more. Does that make sense? And that's the invitation that he gives us. And so this morning as we have uh, this, this call of, of just reflection time, uh, think about what he has said there, that last verse again. But seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, knowing God in all of his fullness, and all these things will be added to you. Where he defeats us, guys, it divides us, it distracts us. And, and God says, man, you can put your trust in me. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you this morning. That, Father, you deal with uh, the things that are crucial to life. Father, this morning, uh, there's, there's going to be times in our lives where we're going to have that choice. We're going to be in that versus. Where the two opportunities is for us to worry about something are to trust. And Father, today, thank you that you have given uh, us these words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. That, Father, that you call us into this trusting relationship. Uh, that you call us into, not just to, to worry less, but to trust more. And the greatest part of this, Father, is that you are trustworthy. You're completely trustworthy. You might not always answer every prayer just like we want it answered. You may not always direct every single thing in our life to, to pass where it's just roses and flowers. Father, there is never a time in our life that you have called us or directed us that was not for your eventual glory and for our good. 
And no one, Father, not even our mom or our dad, our husband or our wife, can we say that? That they're 100% pure in their motives for our lives. Father, thank you that we can trust you. Father, help us to understand that today the antidote, the answer to, to, to worry less is to start by trusting you. We love you. And now, Father, we sing this song. We come to the altar. We pray this morning. We make commitments in our hearts and our lives this day, Father. Because your word has prompted us and your spirit is calling us. And we just simply respond to you, Father, because you have first responded to us. We love you and thank you, Father. So we pray this in the power of Christ's name. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.